Okay. Welcome back to Almost Good. So, you know, I'm not sure that more than three people even listen to this podcast, which is totally fine. I wouldn't even mind if nobody listened to it. It's really something for me to structure my own time around, to feel like I accomplish some task every week. This week I've been struggling with whether or not I should talk about the recent presidential election. I know that sounds silly. This is just a cheap little podcast about movies. Why would I talk about politics? But I live in the U.S. The future is very uncertain and looks very scary for me personally, but especially for people that I care about. And also, here's the thing about politics. There is no escaping them. Politics is ideology. It's a term that describes beliefs or ideas about how the world works and how it should work. Politics are everywhere. They're in fiction. They're in movies. They're in children's films. A common refrain that's been going around in the course of this election is that Trump and his most ardent supporters are fascists. And I understand how that sounds a little ridiculous, how it sounds hyperbolic. Trump is an amoral buffoon. He's basically just a character. He's living the role of an asshole businessman. Not even a real businessman, but just a rich guy who's addicted to fame, looking for attention and notoriety. Just a con man. He doesn't have the conviction to be a real fascist. But the thing is, he doesn't need it. Maybe this is what fascism looks like in our hellscape of global neoliberalism. The U.S. populace has elected a reality TV star as its president because they were conned into seeing him as the outsider, as the anti-establishment choice. And to be fair to them, he was the only choice presented to them, which is a failure of the system, but also of the left, to produce an alternative. And this clown is just the public face of a movement that is all too earnest and real. Trump has already appointed white supremacist Steve Bannon as his chief strategist. He has tapped very earnest, genuine reactionaries for key positions in his administration. So maybe this is how it happens in our particular age of mass media. So let me say a few words about fascism, and why it is so seductive and so persistent, and why we need to always be vigilant against it. Like any other politics, fascism can be anywhere. And it's especially adaptable because at its heart, it's so simple. The core of fascist thought is simply this. The world is divided into us and them, and we have to destroy them before they get to us. That's it. And I think you can see how insidious that thinking is, how it really is everywhere. It's in so many, if not most, of the stories that we tell. Put into practice as a framework for organizing a state, a nation, fascism is basically neo-feudalism. The nation-state is valued above all other entities or forms of social organization, and the state becomes synonymous with the face of a single central authoritarian leader who really is the public face of a powerful ruling class. Society is organized into a rigid hierarchy, a social order. The police are militarized, the military is romanticized, and the arrangement sustains itself on a mythology about how the real, true citizens of this state are somehow special. They've been created through nature or by God to be better than everyone else, and so they rule by divine right. We might think that we don't believe in that kind of system here in the U.S. We don't believe in kings or aristocrats. But in practice, we do have a militarized police. We do lionize and romanticize military might and strength. 
We do tell ourselves stories about our own inherent superiority as Americans to justify the violence that we inflict on other people. We do have a rigid social order. We are a society ruled by the very wealthy, by the relative minority of people who own all the land, all the resources, to whom we have to sell our labor just to survive. Just like the landowning aristocracy under feudalism. We've already paved much of the way logistically for fascism to take hold. We have a representative democracy, but so did the Weimar Republic. We tell ourselves and our children stories about rightful monarchs, about the divine right of princesses and kings. We tell stories about heroes who triumph through might and violence, about villains whose monstrousness is written in their appearance, even the color of their skin, or in how they look and act like foreigners, or like gay people or trans people. And so one of the last things that stands between us and the worst, most destructive form of politics that humanity has ever conceived is the kind of stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. It always comes down to the story, and to whether that story is good in a moral sense. Whether the stories that we tell enable and encourage us to do the right thing. So we have a choice. Do we go along with that narrative of us versus them? Of America versus the world? Of so-called real Americans versus immigrants versus alienated and fed-up black people versus uppity and angry women versus trans people versus all the disenfranchised people whom we see as less than and as unworthy and who we subject to suffering and violence? Or do we write a new story? A story of real unity, of recognizing our shared humanity, a story of courage in the face of powers that want to keep us afraid of each other. Will we choose to believe that we can do better, that we are better than our own worst impulses, that there is no them, that, in the words of Terry Pratchett, there is no justice, there is just us. Justice, mercy, compassion, these are all ideas. They do not exist except where we deliberately will them into being. They are stories. In order for them to be manifest in the world, we need to tell those stories. That's all I have to say this week. I don't know if anyone will hear me, but if somebody is listening, then I want you to know that I'm here. And we are in this together. And I'll be here again next week. Take care.